to. Great, then let's just do uh, nothing then, and let it fester. No, 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 like, no. What's, no, what's no, the solution? No, I'm not encouraged. Well, I, I, my. Like you're just my gonna let you're gonna just to take money out of out of the whole system and make well, it. Well, I think that's too extreme. Hi, I'm Jacob Kenny. And I'm Liam McPherson. It's the newest edition of what is soon to be Hockey Canada's least favorite podcast. It's Speech, Speech from, from the, the Throne, throne episode, episode 19. We're here to bring you the latest and greatest from the halls of power. But not with more neon vomit shots of the new live-action Barbie movie. We're just here to argue. Hey, Liam, what are we talking about today? Well, Jacob, we're going to be talking about your favorite thing ever, hockey. Oh, excellent. Wow. Oh, oh, wow, 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 wow. Your favorite thing ever. Excellent. Hockey. Hockey. I know how much you love hockey, and you were just dying to talk about it. No, no, no. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I kid. I kid, listeners. The The reason that I bring that up is because of the headlines in the news recently. You may have seen headlines about Hockey Canada having a slush fund to cover up sexual assaults. You may have heard of eight CHL players who gang-raped a woman in uh, London, Ontario in 2018. And their names are still not known, despite that being four years ago. It could very well take down some big names, and so it should. And to start at the beginning, to give you a little bit of context about why this matters, if you're a Canadian, for most Canadians, it, it hockey seems to be part of our identity, our brand, for better or for worse. It's something we're heavily tied to. It's something that a lot of us happen to be good at. And hockey and is a sport in the world that is treasured at the professional level, at the national level, at the international level. For better or worse, if you're a hockey player, you're this godly Greek figure, in a sense. You're this Olympian figure. When, when they bring home Olympic gold, we celebrate them. And when our favorite team does this proud and wins the Stanley Cup, we celebrate them. And, you know, you'd like to think, so we should, you know, it was, it's an incredible uh, achievement. The trouble is, there's far too many of them that have been getting away with indecencies for far too long. Hockey has a rot at its core. And that is a rot that protects misogyny, that protects racism, that protects homophobia, even breeds it. If you want to be one of the guys, you're going to participate in or witness probably all of those things over the course of your hockey career and perhaps participate in all of those things at one time. I'd like to think it's gotten a little bit better. Certainly the NHL wants us to think it's gotten better. Certainly Hockey Canada, everything was all fine until all this came out about them. And, and everybody's just disgusted, and they should be, because nobody really cares. They just pretend to. They talk about hockey is for everyone, right? It's still super white dominated. It's still very male. It's homogenous, and that's okay. You know, There's nothing inherently wrong with that. But what happens is that without oversight, it breeds into this sick misogynistic like twisted lifestyle you know they get paid millions of dollars to entertain us by playing a sport and we are entertained and we do like to to watch it millions of canadians will will go watch it but the reality is it doesn't mean these people can continue to entertain us with impunity if we're going to let these guys get paid tens of millions of dollars and and live in yachts uh half the year in florida depending on how good their team is it might be a little bit shorter than half a year i have yet to make a second round video for the toronto maple leafs please please and and then please. you know live the other half still living a life of luxury like you're playing hockey and you're working hard there's a level of physical fitness that's hard to attain there for sure but you're getting paid tens of millions of dollars to do it you have to live up to a certain professional standard if you're going to do it professionally and in any other workplace any other ideal workplace anyway, this shit isn't tolerated. And we tolerate it. And we've tolerated it for far 
too long. That's what I want to talk about today. As you have sort of alluded to in the beginning, Liam, obviously hockey is no real interest to me, but I have had friends who have played the sport, and I do hear the same stories over and over of really intense hazing of, as you said, this this gross misogynistic culture. And I'm interested in examining a little bit what the roots of this culture would be. It doesn't strike me as immediately obvious that hockey, as opposed to any other sport, should have this sort of disgusting culture in it. But I do think that the way it's played, in particular the way it's played in the NHL, does encourage these sorts of cultures to develop. And I think this is where the listeners and and other Canadian hockey fans need to sort of recognize that they're playing a bit of a complicit part in this culture and allowing for it to develop. A culture that we can, as the viewing public, fight to change. So one of the things that I notice about hockey, and particularly the NHL, and one of the things that really turns me off from the sport is the fighting, is the constant shoving around. And it's always disturbed me that men with knives on their feet seem to have no safety regulations in how they play. And I've heard of games, like there was an Edmonton Oiler that got his throat slashed with a Mm -hmm. a skate, Mm -hmm. and yet they, they did not stop, you know, the fighting from happening. And so there's a... There's a bit of a, a violence that's that's promoted in the game itself. Whenever a fight breaks out, the whole game shuts down, yeah. and you know that becomes a spectacle on TV. Is seeing these two guys yeah. bash the shit out of each yeah. other again while they have knives yeah. on their feet. And that's something that you don't have to play hockey that way. The Olympics doesn't tolerate that. You don't have to tolerate that, but it makes money. It gets eyeballs on the screen, so it's promoted. But it's not just the fact that violence is tolerated. Violence is rewarded, as you said, hugely monetarily. These fighters make millions of dollars a year. So you have a system where not only is violence emulated, but it's rewarded. The hazing that we all hear about in these locker rooms it starts at a very early age, and it's it's a way of enforcing this really violent stereotype. It's It develops a mystique of masculinity where the, the hazing is used as a way of celebrating those who are the most violent and shutting down and humiliating and silencing all those who are less violent. And so at a very early age, the culture, it beats down and, and humiliates and forces out anyone who would act differently. And then, you know, even if you somehow survive all the hazing and you try to be a good guy in the system, you don't want to be the guy that's going to speak out and, you know, you don't want to be the guy that's that's going to uh, tell on your other players when you see them doing something unbecoming. Because if you are a troublemaker, if you are the one that's highlighted as as being the guy that's, you know, willing to, to call out other people. No one likes a rat. Exactly. And you're gone. Like, you're, everyone is replaceable. Everyone is replaceable. There's, it's so competitive. There's so many people that are angling for the top spot. And so, particularly if you're talking about like the juniors, where you're talking about that gang rape that took place, eight students, it seems like, all attacked a single poor woman. It seemed like it was witnessed essentially by the whole team. And yet no one, no one leaked this, no one said anything. Well, why is it? How can, how can a whole team essentially attack a woman sexually and get away with it just before you expand but we've we've had a lot of players come forward in the past 24 hours a lot of players yeah, yeah. from from the canadian world junior team there are like seven remaining that which is still disgusting that are for some reason taking their sweet time to comment still frustrated discussing that that we haven't gotten answers about that and then there's also a number of apparently non-world junior 
CHL players that were that could have been involved, and we know nothing about them. This thing is going to take down careers. It's going to take down careers, and it should. It's about damn time. So. Well, it should, and and you know, it's nice of these World Junior guys to talk about the incident four years after it happened. They should have been talking about it like right then. It should not. It's something that should never have happened. Period. There was an investigation in 2018 by Hockey Canada mm. that went nowhere because Hockey Canada tried to bury it. Like it, it was a yeah. it was a complete joke, and players were talked to, but they were all let off the hook, all of them, and no one ever knew who was involved. And, and people, we still don't know officially who's involved, but we can start to do math now that the number of World Junior players has dropped. We can start to do math on who's either complicit or involved. And that's really, it's really frightening for yep. me personally, because in, in, in here's how, how it hits home. You know, I'm a fan of the Ottawa Senators and two of two Sens were on that team, that world junior team, and they still haven't commented. And that's got me Yikes. feeling sick to my stomach and a bunch of us feeling sick to our stomach. And they could be, you know, uh, we'll wait to see what the investigation unveils. But if they're not saying, if they're mum on this, that's really disturbing to me. Yeah. When other players have come forward, finally, I mean, far too late, but when other players have come forward. This is where I'll, I'll have to try and be more empathetic because if if I was in that position as on the, the world junior team there for Canada, and I'm in this situation where you see these horrible things happening, I have to really ask myself, would I be the one to, to speak up? And I, as much as I want to tell myself that, yes, of course, you'd be the courageous person. You would, Of course, you'd see these terrible things happening and speak up. The truth is, is I've never felt that sort of pressure in my life. I've never been in a situation where there is a possibility that I could be making tens of millions of dollars a few years down the line. And all I have to do to make that money is to keep my mouth shut. Thank God I've never witnessed this sort of violence before in my life. But I've never been in a situation where I've had on, on, on one hand had to choose between an amazing life of luxury, of fame, of star power, and on the other, standing up for the victims of one of the worst possible assaults you can imagine. And I think that this the system that we've developed is intentionally designed to force players to make the choice of staying silent. There's just too much power that's given to the other players, to the coaches, and the individual player, he knows that there's so many people that want to be in his job, that want to be in his place, that if he says anything, the NHL or the or the Hockey Canada, the, the, the system's going to be, okay, thank you very much for standing up, we'll investigate, but now you're a troublemaker, goodbye. And someone else who's equally as talented will take their spot. And they will get to be the ones that make millions of dollars, not the one that spoke out. That's always what happens. So, of course, if you see this happening, you're not going to speak. So what's the solution? I think you and I are going to start debating, and we're probably going to end up getting a lot of hatred from the uh, listening public, is I think we have to fundamentally change the way that this, that this sport is played. I think that we cannot exemplify this culture of violence to begin with. We cannot allow the violence to become the spectacle. If we want to play the sport, play the fucking sport. Don't elevate people who are purely fighters. Do not encourage violence. And then I think fundamentally, we got to try to decommercialize as much as possible. So long as there is such a huge financial reward to playing this sport, there's always going to be way too much pressure. We're talking about like players who are accused of sexual assault, but we've heard many, many coaches who have sexually assaulted their players as well. These coaches have a huge amount of power on their players because they can literally make or break a career. And it's not just a career where you're making like, you know, a little bit of money on the side. It's making or breaking, as you said, like a major star power. So if we allow this system to make so much money, to have so much profit, to make these players so much money, there's always going to be incentive to keep your mouth shut. 
and to and to stop changing the system. So I fundamentally argue like I'd have nothing wrong with the game. I think it's a fun game, and the way it's played in the Olympics is great. But the way it's played in the Olympics is amateurs who don't fight. That's the way it should be played. Amateurs who don't fight. If it's professionals who fight, you're inevitably, inevitably going to get this sort of culture. So I've got to add some nuance to the last thing you said. In the Olympics, historically, it has been amateurs. However, I can't remember which decade it started in, but it went up until the 2010s. The, the Olympics decided to let in professional hockey players, NHL players, onto the Olympic rosters. And now it's gone back the other way. Like now it is amateurs again. It's still very exciting to watch. I still quite enjoy it. And so I agree with Jacob. I think like with the fighting, I agree with Jacob. I think there's like uh, an element to hockey that like if it's a transfer of kinetic energy, then that's one thing. If it's actively beating the pulp out of a guy, you know, and we're stopping the whole game to watch this like bloody spectacle that happened that we wouldn't allow literally anywhere else. You know, I I think it's time a conversation was had maybe about the damage that does to your brain over the long term, because I know there's been serious concussion issues. I know there's been issues even in the NFL, which doesn't have fighting like with the tackling. There's been issues. Uh, I'm sure there's issues with certain, like I wouldn't, I'm not saying all checks are, are fair game. Like, you know, we should take a look at all yeah. physical contact in the NHL. It's one thing to make tens of million dollars, but it's another thing if you die in your 60s because it killed you doing that. Or, or 50s or 40s, like one guy committed suicide in his 40s because the, the repeated concussions made him depressed, suicidally depressed, and he hung himself. Yeah. Uh, and that's not going to happen in every, every case, but it does happen disproportionately to guys that play like this. So what those guys that you speak of, the guys that like to fight and rough other guys up, they're called enforcers. And they were a big deal in the, the 2000s, like a huge deal. Like enforcers, you, you, you didn't give a shit how many goals they were going to score. Could they rough somebody up? That's all you needed them to do in 45 seconds, which would be their shift to just rough other people up. And those players still do exist, but there's lay, way less emphasis on them nowadays than there was in the past. Yeah. What still is a problem is, yeah, the, of course, the spectacle of fighting that we would never allow. You would never allow that anywhere else, ever, ever, ever. And somehow it's okay in that context. And I, I think a discussion is worth having about that. And I, I look at it and it you know, disgusts me that we still kind of allow it, to be honest. That's the one element of the game that makes me cringe, to be honest, most of the time. So I, I, I do disagree that with you also that like oversight won't do anything. Like I do think oversight is, is a valuable thing to have. If, if that oversight is done by somebody who's not married to the culture, like namely a third party independent body, I think that is, it's possible to keep that separate. I think if it's the NHL's own oversight kind of thing, then I'd be suspicious of that from the day it was struck. (laughs) So I think the oversight has to be done right, but I, th- I do think oversight is possible. What do you imagine that looks like, though? Because there is oversight. That's called the police. But how do they do? <laughs> well, exactly. Like, they, like it doesn't it doesn't work. So that's why. So I, that's it's why like I'm so that's that so that's a larger problem. Then we could get into a whole discussion yeah. about cop culture and how it's very similar. Uh, there's a very similar machismo exactly. to uh, NHL. Maybe that's what you're getting at. There's a very similar machismo there. So you know, it could just be all boys culture protecting all boys culture. And I think that's that's definitely a. a a point worthy of consideration for sure. Well, I do think oversight isn't meaningless. Yes, they're getting paid tens of millions of dollars, but we're arguing here on this show, why are we letting them get away with things they wouldn't do at other jobs? If we're talking about in the sense of a job, then there should be oversight because there's oversight at every job for things like that. Every single job, there's oversight. And we can debate how effective the oversight is. I'm not an expert on how the oversight should be structured, but there is no oversight right now. Yeah. None. I mean, I... And other jobs have oversight. <laughs> so I can certainly understand how 
oversight would affect players getting sexually abused by their coaches. Anything that's happening inside the organization, if there was an HR department or if there is some organization they could go to for help the players, while it's all within the, the NHL, all within Hockey Canada, I can see how that would prevent these sorts of relationships from being abused. However, you know, when we're talking about that, that woman that got attacked by eight players, that was outside of, of playing time. That was, you know, that was on the players' free time. I don't really see how an oversight body would really affect, like, like, I know there is a model in some U.S. universities where if a student is involved in any sort of sexual impropriety, regardless if it's on campus or off campus, the Title IX office, they call the United States, will still investigate and can sometimes, uh, well, very often, in fact, will expel a, a student from a university for sexual impropriety. Is that sort of what you're suggesting? What would happen is that if some, if a, if a player is, is accused of something, that there would be an oversight office that would then, like, remove the player from the team, essentially? Exactly. Yes, exactly. So, like, okay. you know, I'll give an example. The Freedom Convoy. There were a lot of independent employees of independent companies that showed up to the Freedom Convoy. Some of those people happened to get in nice photos of them smiling with other participants. And in those photos, they happened to have the logo on their truck in the back and were quickly identified. A lot of guys said preemptively to their employees, if you go there, you're gone. You're gone. I don't care if that's on your free time. If you show up there in the company truck with a logo on it, you're gone. <laughs> so, and then, but it, it should extend farther than that. And here, I'll give you another example of where it did. Hydro One. It's a provincial utility in Ontario. Two Hydro One employees were caught on camera telling a reporter to F her right in the P. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and they were fired. There should just be zero tolerance and absolutely right, the culture is a, b a barrier to that, and it doesn't have oversight, and it should have oversight, and that's why I'm arguing for oversight. But yes, absolutely, part of the oversight's role should be, if you do this, and there's an investigation, and you did this, I don't know, like, you're gone. This is the thing, though, Liam, is, and I this is where I, I might agree with some of the Pierre Polyev types about the, the people that got fired for attending the, the Freedom Convoy rally. I find it very disturbing when an employer can fire an employee for taking a political stance outside of work. I mean, they technically were violating the law. Oh, for that topic, we can talk about the merits of that another time. We can talk about it now. But the reason that I brought it up in the first place wasn't to focus on like the substance of what I was saying. It was just merely an example of there are harsh consequences for action A. My focus was on consequences for actions and harsh consequences for actions like that. And there are consequences in other workplaces. Yeah, but let's say there's a, if there's a committee that is in charge of hiring and firing players based off of their uh, actions outside of the game, then and you know we know what hockey players are like you know what happens if there is like a Colin Kaepernick on the on the Canadian juniors who is using his platform to speak out for social issues and that committee doesn't like what he's doing they're going to they're going to get rid of him too well that's a whole different thing i mean look with the NFL and all the players kneeling right. i'm not saying that the players can't share their respective views but if you're going to have a particular view mm -hmm. whether it's pro lgbt or not whether you're a, a player in the NHL that is vocal about LGBTQ rights or you're a Trump supporter like Tony D'Angelo. And anybody who knows hockey knows who I'm talking about. He's a Trump-supporting fascist hockey player. He suffered. He's still playing hockey. He wasn't kicked out of the league. He still has a team. 
but he suffered hugely professionally. Not enough that he's not going to, like, obviously he's still making enough money, more than enough money to fill his boots for, you know, I'm not talking about financially, but, like, there were professional consequences. He lost a lot of sponsorships. He lost a lot of fans. There should have been more. I think there should have been discussions if he supported fascist rhetoric, like January 6th, for example. You know, I, I want to be careful with that because when I flip it the other way, and if I thought something was a just cause, it is, you know, fair to wonder, hmm, you know, then would I be appalled if somebody was fired for blah, blah, blah. So, like, you know, it's a fair point to bring up. I will say that with the NFL, I was obviously supporting the players with the kneeling, and, and I thought it was atrocious that they cared that much. I thought it was hilarious how ruffled they got about it. But also I was disgusted. That, that how such a simple action can still anger, you know, white America and how far behind blacks still are in America. That really showcased it for me. Like the anthem is so sacrosanct to them that they, they don't care even if it's about the like racial inequality. They don't care what your plight is. You don't kneel during the anthem. That's it. And I think that's just so gross to me that a song can be so sacrosanct. That's, I find that disturbing. Someone else might come along and, and disagree, and clearly a lot of people did. But as I said, it's, it's an interesting perspective to keep in mind when you say, well, that's outrageous, but that is something that happened. A manager of a trucking company said, if you go in my truck, you're fired. So... I think I have to bring the money back to the conversation, though, because I think you're giving these NHL owners a little bit too much credit for, you know, thinking about the political sanctity of the anthem. It's white supremacy, Jacob. It's white supremacy. It's not just white supremacy. It's the money that you get from white supremacy. It's the fact that white supremacy is rewarding. Right now, particularly, yes. If yeah. you remind the American audience that your team is white supremacist, You'll have a Republican side that's okay. They'll still they'll still pay money for you, but you'll have a Democratic side that is not okay with white supremacy, and then they'll leave. So I think the reason why the league was so reactive to Colin Kaepernick has nothing to do with this, the synchronicity of the national anthem. It's all to do with the fact that they didn't want an aggressively political, divisive message to enter their conversation. They knew that they didn't care about whether or not it was a right thing to do or the wrong thing to do. All they knew was it's an incredibly divisive and they want to make as much money as possible. And by doing that, you have to reach a mass audience. And so the instant you put something politically divisive into your sport, you're going to lose money. And so the fact that it's all about mass profit ensures essentially that these corporations have to dilute as much politics from the organization as possible and protect the pristine reputation of the sport. And so this is why I worry about a, a committee that's that's trying to overview the actions of a players. I feel like the, the instinct of that committee, so long as this is a multi-billion dollar business, would be to hide as much as possible. So historically, the NHL has been a lot like the NFL in that regard. Belatedly, there has been an effort to not be like the NFL. They'll, you know, they try to have pride related events and, and emphasize players in the league than there are a handful <laughs> not very many it's luke prokop and he's openly gay so they, they try to celebrate they celebrate him but but they're not doing they're not doing enough they're doing more than the nfl is and they're not they're certainly not making those issues invisible but you know when black lives matter happened they put out a really weak ass statement <laughs> and so like there's there's still a long a long way to go and to be honest, because the NHL is used to being like the NFL, oh, that's too divisive, that's too divisive. Like, they were historically like that, and they, their reflexes to still, they, still be that way. It's changing, like it has for a lot of corporations who dole out the pride stuff every June. It's changing. They're getting better with the performative part anyway, but, like, it's definitely the culture internally is still very, very much very homophobic uh, and misogynist and, and, in some cases, racist. That's why I worry, Liam, is that if it's a mass audience, profit-driven, 
I think that the instinct of the league is going to just double down more on the on the misogynistic side. But like, that's what I I'm think... saying. It needs to be a third party. It has to be a third party. It has to be removed from the league. That oversight board, whatever it is, has to be removed from the league. It has to. If, if it is not removed from the league, it will not function. Because the culture is so bad right now. This is a culture issue. I wouldn't suggest this for every yeah. organization. But the rot inside the NHL and inside hockey culture is so bad. Burn it all down first. <laughs> and then put in an oversight committee that is far removed, untouchable from the NHL. Far removed. Like not even part of the corporate structure of the NHL. Its own entity. Independent not owned by the same person, not like complete as separate as it can be for it to function because that's what it'll take to, to start to root this out. And you just make it illegal to play hockey unless you're governed by this oversight committee? I mean, like, I, I mean I when, you, when you go to a job, Jacob, you're governed by an oversight committee and it's called human resources. Well, yeah, exactly. So this, this would be essentially and that. The reason why we put up with that is because you can't have a company without that. And people have tried to have, like Silicon Valley, for example, has lots of businesses that don't have an HR department that and like Uber is famous for having horrible, horrible corporate culture, misogynistic corporate culture that's constantly attacking women. Wonder why. But when you put an HR when you put an HR department in a business, it, it functions less efficiently. It's gonna be less profitable. And the only reason why most companies have them is basically it's because the the government has mandated it through the the actions of lawsuits, for example. Sucks to suck. Well, this is what I'm saying, Liam, though, is if you have a league that's overseen by an independent body constantly accusing players of, of sexual impropriety, I think that's just going to encourage another league another league to pop up that that, that hides everything and fil and filters that out. No, I I think that's silly. I think that's silly, Jacob. I, I don't think people can get it. Most most corporations can't even can't even get away with that level of stuff anymore. And if they do it comes out that's why we know about things like this i do see that the sport culture is dividing itself a little bit liam into a left-right spectrum like i see the nba it is is willing to take much more left stances but that's because their audience is much more urban their audience is much more racially diverse than other sports and i just think that basically because of the whole colin kaepernick response the nfl in the united states has become much more right-leaning and so I worry that you, what you're what you're doing, Liam, is you're by suggesting this, you're going to trigger a political response to. Great, then uh, let's just the, do nothing and let it fester. No, 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 no. That's like, not, what's, that's what's not, the I'm solution? Well, my solution is to take money out of out of the whole system and make it and, and make it much less profitable by highly taxing. Uh, well, I these... think that's too extreme. So I'm trying to have mm-hmm. I'm trying to have it both ways, and I think the way to have it both ways is to put a fucking oversight body. And I'm sorry, no, like fine. I don't mean to start speaking French. What I French, think, though, Liam, is that if like... you if you trigger a political response in the NHL, the NHL's main constituents are more right-leaning people, not left-leaning people. I think that they're going to double down on their core audience and they're going to become more misogynistic. Well, the, but people said that when they people said that when they started talking about gay, you know, uh, LGBTQ rights and they finally started talking about it. I'll, and again, I'll admit it's not like they're, you know, the shining star of LGBTQ, LGBTQ achievement or anything like that because they haven't allowed themselves to be historically. But like they've started to talk about those issues now and they should start talking more. Like again, when they didn't talk deep enough about racism there's issues that they could be way better spoken on and that's going to force them to take a left-wing stance and it's going to alienate right-wing fans particularly rural fans who happen to straight to skew more right-wing i get that yeah but you have to understand that the reason that they're able to pay these people tens of millions of dollars of course a a large chunk of it is on their fan base 
but they they are so disgustingly filthy rich that if they did what like the NBA does for example like the NHL has a lot of racially diverse fans but not a lot of racially diverse players because the the towns with the overwhelmingly the towns with hockey operations are in predominantly white towns disaffected uh, minorities aren't able to uh, often afford to to start up with hockey because the the it's so expensive to start up so that's why players aren't as diverse however NHL fans are very diverse they're skewing younger they're more in check with social media and issues on social media than ever which is why the NHL has been forced to not moderate the opposite to 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 like be kind of more on our side me me and you like our side on some issues which nobody ever would have thought so there it is it is changing i'm not saying it's changing fast enough i'm not saying they're doing it right but i just i i'm pushing back a little bit because i do think it's possible I just, I genuinely do not believe that an industry that makes so much money can ever be fully transformed from the outside in the way that you're suggesting. That it just, it provides so many resources to, to an entrenched culture that you you cannot truly transform it. Like, even if you have an oversight body, it's still the league that's going to be able to hire the fanciest lawyers. It's still the monsters who are going to have the most protection uh, against an independent committee. The thing that, that is promoting this protection of, of these uh, uber-masculine monsters is the fact that they have millions of dollars to sit back on. So, for me, the answer is simple. You take away the money. You take away as much money as you can possibly steal from them, and then... They're not able to defend themselves as much. Yeah, I mean, if you truly believe that that's... I, I don't agree with you, but I, like, if I did agree with you, I can see how that would seem like a logical step, for sure. Like, I think it's possible to change the culture within a corporate organization, just like it's possible to change one anywhere else. Would it be easier to just burn it all down and take the money out? Absolutely. I'm not going to deny that it would be easier. I'm just trying to think, is there a way for professional sports to function I would say not without burning down the current hierarchy and from the ground up. Like you've got to burn it all. You've got to burn it all down. You've got to the execs in Hockey Canada too. You got to burn them all down. I just think about that woman that got attacked by eight players, and she was like the next yeah, day was yeah. texting the guy that had invited her over and was like apologetic to him. And there's like a part of me that's wondering like, what would do that. And for me, the answer is like, well, it's difficult to really have a fully consensual relationship when the power imbalance is so vast between someone that can you know be this national star that can be this millionaire and you as a woman that is going to this guy even if you are horribly attacked you still feel that power imbalance that that's so immense you can't really defend yourself in that situation because there's just a complete lack of, of agency when you're faced with this um, uh, huge power imbalance, even if there is this this third party, I guess you can you could talk to, and maybe if it's run spectacularly and they they give complainants their own lawyer, their own legal representation, they are all super well trained in dealing with the victims of sexual assault, and maybe you can see that happening. But I don't know. The, the truth is, is you're you're talking to someone, as you said, who in this country is vaunted as a god. And I, I think it's the, it's the fact that you're vaunted as a god is what's causing this, this problem. It's, it's not the, the culture. It's a godlike stature that we assign to them sometimes, I think. And like, yes, they entertain us. And yes, they're athletically gifted, but they're not gods. They're human beings. They're as flawed as the rest of us. And that's on display. But it's not dealt with how it should be. And I think, you know, you and I maybe we disagree about the nuances surrounding it. I think we agree on some of the changes that need to be made, but we don't agree on all of them. 
um, which mm. is what makes all this this so much more difficult. I think you know not everybody's going to want to remove the money from it. I'd like to think there's a way that you don't have to, and you can have a, a, a proper culture that with the proper oversight. Maybe I'm wrong, and if I'm, I hope I'm not proven wrong. But if I'm proven wrong, then you know I'm proven wrong. But I'll just say that like I have to admit to the listener that regardless of whether or not these sex scandals had come to light. I was always against organized sport for profit to begin with. My personal belief is that sport should be fun and you should just go out to play. And I think it's a waste of everyone's time to to, to pay money to watch other people play a game that, that you should be playing. I think the, the point of a sport is to have fun and get exercise. And I do think that as with much of capitalism, too few people having too much money is the root of a, a lot of problems. And we can create whatever uh, systems we want to, to try and fix that, but money gives you power, and power is very easy to abuse. The last sentence that you said is one that I wholeheartedly agree with. <laughs> and on that... Very selective praise. <laughs> and, on, and on that cheery note... We will see you in the next one. If you have any thoughts, as usual, you can send them to speechfromthethrone at gmail.com. That's speechfromthethrone at gmail.com, all one word. And with that, we will talk to you in the next one. Bye, bye, bye. This is the first contact with an alien mind. An alien mind. According to Google, Lambda, a speech predicting software, is nothing more than an incredibly advanced neural network, a chatbot. The software engineer, Google itself hired to investigate Lambda for bias, however, now thinks it's much, much more. Lambda is sort of the first step in that. It's something that's so human. And so, do you think it's a... Definitely, definitely not. It's at least step seven or eight. In June of this year, Blake Lemoyne sought to change the world with his claims that Lambda, the most sophisticated AI system ever created, had become sentient. This week on Speech from the Throne, we'll ask the man himself what this first contact really means. We'll talk Google's dirty practices. Google runs thousands of psychological experiments on billions of humans every day. Public apathy. I think people freely gave portions of their will away because they didn't feel like making the decisions for themselves. And the greatest villains of our age. That actually reminds me of a line from a sci-fi movie. I'm not gonna try to quote it, but it was said by Anakin Skywalker. Friend of the pod. Join me, Jacob Kenny, and co-host Liam McPherson as we pick the brain of Big Tech's canary in the coal mine. Only on Speech from the Throne.